Welcome to It Is What It Is, the podcast, with me, Danielle Bridge. On our show, we catch up with guests to talk about all sorts of things, including our job, mental health, relationships, and basically everything that we humans experience as we navigate through life. Today, we talk to Sam about the education system and how it may not be fit for purpose, especially pointing at a time when many students are receiving their exam results. Today, I have the most amazing guest on, Sam, who's the founder of Student Breakthrough, who's a coach and a motivational speaker, and somebody I have been, not desperate, because that sounds a bit weird, but um, who I've been very excited to speak to about this subject matter. And if anybody's listening that has heard me go on and on and on about the education system, this is the podcast that I have been looking forward to. So I'm hoping that we don't go over an hour, but I've got lots to say and I've got lots to listen to. So um, let's get started. So welcome, Sam. Thank you very much for your time this afternoon. Awesome, Danielle. Great to be here. Thank you so much for that lovely intro. Yeah, looking forward to today. Good. Yeah, no, me too. And like I said before, it's been a conversation that I've been having for a very long time. And I'm very excited to have an expert on to kind of guide me as a mum, I think, through what I deem as being a really difficult situation. I mean, even kind of the notes that I sent over to you, I think <laughs> I think even the subject matter was quite leading in terms to what this talk conversation may be allude, alluding to. And for those of you that don't know, I kind of send over some notes to, to each of my guests to kind of bring them on form to what we're talking about. And his one was, is the education system fit for purpose? Um, so it kind of tells you what, what my feelings and emotions are around it. So before we kind of dig deep into this conversation, Sam, tell me a little bit more about yourself and how you came to be who you are today. Yeah, great stuff. Well, my name is Sam Moyne. I'm the founder of Student Breakthrough. Uh, I'm a speaker, teacher, student coach. In a nutshell, Student Breakthrough, we help young people overcome anxiety and grow in confidence. And I train amazing people to do the same. Um, but yeah, my journey started really when I was at school, if you want to go all the way back. Um, I really struggled with anxiety and confidence when I was a young young lad. Um, never found my place. Got picked on a little bit as well. And I looked up to one person, and Danielle, you probably looked up to someone as well. Uh, this person was my dad, um, who still is an amazing inspiration, but he was a Royal Marine who fought in the Falklands War in the 1980s. So I'm this like shy little kid, no confidence whatsoever, looking at what a man should be, right? Going to be a soldier and strong and tough. And that's what I thought I had to be. So I made the decision when I was 10 years old to join the British Army. Um, and I achieved my dream. Um, if everyone's listened to this, you know, if, if you had that dream of, of whatever you wanted to do, I achieved it in 2012. I got accepted into the Royal Anglian Regiment of the British Army. I was over the moon. I ran up to my dad at 21 being like, like hugged him it was you know it's an amazing experience um but a few weeks after that uh life took a massive 180 flip and if you imagine a time when you're at your worst danielle and everyone listens to this when life wasn't going so well for you um up to that point in my life this was the moment and uh in 2012 i got a letter through the post from the army that said unfortunately uh you can't won't be considered for selection uh, because you've been diagnosed with Crohn's disease, which had only just happened. Um, so I didn't really know much about the disease. I thought it'd be okay. Oh, man, yeah, I was I was so broken. I remember like collapsing to a heap on the floor. Um, so that's really where my journey starts. Um, because I'd had a setback and I had some pain. But as a young man, I didn't know how to deal with pain. 
Um, so my dream had been taken away. I was like, you know, what do I do? Um, and I became a history teacher. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that is a definite turnaround. Um, my reason for that really was just because I loved history and I thought I'd do it for a couple of years, get some skills, bugger off, go and do something else. Um, and I became a teacher and I really, really hate it. And I hated it, not because of the job. I hated myself at that time. Uh, blaming myself, like beating myself up. Why have I got Crohn's? Why can't I make my dad proud? Mm. Um, I, I was literally like, imagine a classroom with 30 kids. I'll be turning away to face the board. You know, not to write on the board. I was like, I was welling up, right? I was broken. I was so anxious, like frozen to the spot, like, not to get out of bed, kind of anxious. And I go to school on like one hour of sleep. Um, and at a really low point. Um, I don't know, really looking back how I made it through those times, like new teacher, trying to do my job, trying to help kids. Um, anyway, it got so bad that I needed to speak to someone. And on the 23rd of April, 2015, I spoke to a coach. Um, didn't know what that was. <laughs> I thought that was for like, for cricket, for football, for rugby. Um, obviously, I came to realise this coach was my mindset and how I felt. Um, and that time was a transformational experience. One thing I learned, which I share with students all across the world is I learned to express and not suppress. Wow. So actually like talking about problems was really, really important for the first time. Remember, I thought I thought being a man was being a soldier and being strong and tough. And actually to open up to someone was super vulnerable. Um, and then, yeah, I learned that failure was a blessing like that. That Crohn's was actually for me. It was meant to help me grow. It was a gift. It was an opportunity. Um, and then lastly, I learned that this kind of support needs to be in the education system because it's not fit for purpose. Yes. <laughs> you hear that, people? It's not fit for purpose. Yeah, right. So your connection with the school and the journey that you'd been through, how did you make that connection between the kids that you were teaching and your own experiences? How did you recognise what I suppose you may have seen in yourself and the children that you were teaching at the time. Well, that was it. Like, you know, there's the, the students that get support are the ones that have got uh, maybe special educa like educational healthcare plans, as they're called. Um, they might be super, like super anxious, like, or super depressed or like a very extreme version. But there's, there's so many students who are like me at school who were struggling, but they didn't get that support. Um, and also I felt that, so I saw these students, I was like, oh, that, well, that's like me. And that was only like me, like, in a few weeks before I had this coaching experience. And I also found that the support in schools is generally a counselling approach, which is important. And counselling is amazing. It does a great job. But I think for most students, they don't need to dig up the past. They just need to open up, to talk, and then to set some action steps about how to improve right now. It's not a very action-orientated approach. Um, so that was kind of, I remember lying in bed before my head hit the pillow and I got that brainwave of, well, I'm teaching history, but what if I could actually go away and, and help students with their mental health, you know, have a deeper impact, not just teach a subject that I love. So yeah, that's kind of how it all spiraled. Wow. That's just brilliant. And I, you know, I already know this conversation is going to be awesome. So I'm proper excited now. Um, <laughs> but so I'll give, kind of give you a bit of a, a brief overview of why I asked that question and why 
I feel so passionately about interventions with our young or you know reform there's a lot of it right um and my son was going to secondary school and I went to have a look around the school with my son and it's huge isn't it secondary schools from primary it's like oh my god there's hundreds of people and I'm proper excited like oh my god it's so cool and it's so exciting and it's progression and movement and you know life and my boy is excited but trying to pretend to be he's not you know like yeah so and uh, we get to school and I remember seeing a teacher there and she was very enthusiastic about her student who was standing on a on a on a stage and he was reciting um Shakespeare you know Romeo Romeo we're all out out there Romeo I think he was coming back and I kind of looked up and the teacher kind of could see me looking and she walked over to me bless her I do apologize if she's listening I don't know who she is um and she kind of walked up and said oh so you know uh, we're doing Romeo and Juliet and I said oh still <laughs> <laughs> I feel really bad now Sam and I was like oh because so what we're not doing anything else you know is the, what, what else is on the curriculum and she said oh we do this and we do that and I realized that I'm 42 and the curriculum hadn't changed much but the conversations I will I have outside of the education system are changing our children's needs are changing things are changing mental health conversations are changing and evolving and progressing but the education system doesn't seem to be helping with that it doesn't seem to be looking after that part of our young people's lives which is now becoming one of the greatest things that need to be looked after right so we're having these mental health conversations we know how important it is and we also know that you know 50 percent of mental illnesses take place in the young before aged I think it's before age 15 and 75% of mental illness take place before age 18. They are stats, they they are there. So if these are taking place, why are we not having greater conversations and why are we not looking at them in the education system as an opportunity to develop our humanity, I suppose, right? Um, And it it kind of wasn't, and I I think she looked at me as a little bit like, oh, we've got one of them. troublemaker get her out yeah my son's great you know it's not for him it's fine um and I was kind of like just disappointed that we haven't moved forward quicker than we actually have tell me is there is there movement is there progression well I'd say the curriculum has changed uh since when you're at school I'd say it's changed in the fact that that everyone just bolted extra stuff on Ah, the curriculum is like I'm trying to think of a metaphor here uh the curriculum imagine like a okay let's use a, a sh- imagine a ship on it on on ship in the sea mm-hmm. uh when you were at school danielle i mean i was at school to an extent um the the ship was was cruising above the waterline right it it it, it, was, it was going okay it was solid and cruising along what's happened over time successive governments have basically added weight to the ship so they've been like, oh, we'll put this container, we'll put this container, we'll, we'll add some more weight to the hull. You can see I'm a ship expert, right? Anyway, I'm not. Um, but what's happened over time is there's so much weight in this ship that it's basically started to sink slowly and slowly and slowly. So the curriculum is like beyond bloated. And it's called curriculum bloat, which is basically where successive governments have tacked different things on to try and fit the agenda for the time. And what that's led to is that there's not, there's simply not enough time to teach everything in detail or give it the, the, the care and consideration that it needs. Now, like the pressure on this from a classroom teacher is like, well, I've got to get cram everything in. And then that pressure is passed down to the students. 
So if the government are putting pressure on the head, for instance, to get results or league tables, that pressure is then passed to teachers, that pressure is then naturally passed down to the student. And then the student is the one who's then you know, feeling like they're not good enough, they're a failure, they can't do it. Um, so the big, a massive thing that would love to, well, I'd love to change and, and should be changed is, is uh, trimming the fat, like cutting the, steak, the fat off the stake of the education system or removing some of that weight from the ship so it can start to rise up and, and sail. <laughs> that is the most amazing metaphor. And if you've just thought of that on your feet, like I could see why you were such an amazing teacher. That was phenomenal. And I completely get it. And actually what it's given me is is a need to apologise to quite a lot of people, maybe, and just say, I didn't actually think of it in that way, you know, about cramming more on and therefore making it nigh on impossible to do it all. And so if you are a teacher who has had a difficult conversation with me before, I apologise, um, because I've now just been given a completely different frame of reference. So thank you so much for providing that, Sam. I think um, I will go into these conversations a little bit more um, empathetic, should I say, um, in terms of what could be done. Yeah, it's not. It's a tough one because it's not. It's not the teacher's fault, and I wouldn't argue it's not even the school's fault. It's like it's above that. Right? It's the education system and policy. But um, one thing that needs to happen, like I was, for instance, for history, um, I was when I first started, I was teaching three major modules over three years, three year GCSE. We were very lucky. We had that extra year. By the end, I was doing, for instance, four major modules in three years. So we basically chucked on another module, and by the way like this is a few years ago they did big curriculum changes where we went from uh grade to number form if you remember that so like an a now is a nine or whatever a star plus plus is a nine whatever um so yeah it basically we were doing more trying to fit more in at a harder level um because that's one way to raise the attainment right to make the exams harder mm. so i was basically to an extent teaching like a level history to to younger students um, because it was tough right like it was tough and we had to do more of it and so, is that you stop too many people perhaps from trying to get into higher education so therefore then the, the small amount of jobs that we have aren't kind of overrun by lots of young people that can that can do that work it almost seems counterproductive to me to have situations where you you are getting into a position of of imminent failure perhaps yeah, I, I haven't thought of it like that. And I guess that could be a thing. I think for me, it's just, it's just breadth. Like we're trying to cram in so much. And as a teacher, you can't go into depth. You can't really have fun. There's no love of learning. Um, obviously, there are those great lessons. I used to do these debate lessons where I dressed up as a judge, put my wig in. Like, it was amazing. But <laughs> generally speaking, I know you want to get that image out of your head. <laughs> but in general, right? In general, there wasn't really a love of learning. It was, you know, get like pass the test because I'm under pressure um you know if i don't show progress i don't get a pay rise so we've got to try and show much progress as possible progress 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 um yeah it's funny because like i have realized and i think every parent listening to this will understand their own child as as they as they can right you you i know my children and i know what what they like i know how to get them engaged etc and that takes quite a lot of effort and I'm quite happy sometimes to get involved in that process because I know what my children need to get the best out of them. But then I feel really like bad for those children that perhaps do not have that level of interaction at home or the understanding that there are different ways. I mean, I teach, that's what I teach adults, but I, you know, I facilitate learning. 
So I can appreciate that there are different styles of learning. And that, for example, my, my boy had a, a geography test a couple of weeks ago. And I had so much fun helping him revise for this geography test. It was brilliant because we had like five, I think it was 50 questions. And it but simply it was regurgitating the, the question and the answer, right? Mm-hmm. And so my husband was like, right, give him the answer and ask him what the question was. So we had lots of interaction and his sister came in and I, without the week, but she she was the immediate, <laughs> she was, you know, right, you guys, because obviously I'm learning as I'm, te- as I'm teaching. So Sebastian and I had kind of this opportunity where my daughter's reading out questions and we kind of got a beep in, you know, to get the answer. And it was fun and it was engaging and I loved it because it helped him to learn. But I also appreciate that when you have 30 children, you might not be able to hit the learning styles of each of these kids. But the other thing that's weird, with, I love that example, by the way. And like, obviously you're a great, you got a great support for your son and daughter. But that's the other thing as well. You know, some, you know, even before they're born, some students are up against it or young people are up against it, depending on their environment. Yeah, um, I've worked with lots of looked after children who <laughs> do not have that support at all. And actually they've, you know, because of those beliefs that are formed between the ages of like zero and seven, zero and eight, you know, they're turned off, switched off from education straight away. Um, so yeah, it's great you're doing that. And like, that's amazing. But that shows the difference in, and actually that's parenting comes down for everything. I think you can have the best teacher, coach, mentor, guide, whatever, but really mum and dad are the most important part. Um, and that's why we do lots of work with parents at Student Breakthrough. Um, so yeah, I think, I think just in summary of that, um, I lost my trail of thought there, but I think ultimately it's about cutting. If we cut back the curriculum, we'd have more time to teach those 30 students. Mm. The other thing that I was reflecting on this morning was like, we used to differentiate work for the students. So if a student had trouble with writing or they were had um, some sort of special needs or if they were SEND, a SEND student, which is special educational needs, um, we differentiate the work, but everyone set a standardised test. So I'm kind of, I saw it in a meme this morning. I was like, yeah, that, we actually did that. And isn't that a bit strange that we differentiate work to help students, but then they'd all sit the same test. So I don't know. It's, it's a tough yeah. one. And that's, that's exactly it, though, because, I mean, me, I've, I've been on tangents with my friends, as you could probably imagine, and I'm sitting really high up on my high horse and I'm um, talking about, like, what I would do, you know, so like, I'm, like, I'm even telling my daughter, like, what my school would be like. She's like, Mom, why can't you run a school? Be real cool. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I know it would be really cool. That's the frustration. I mean, because, again, I suppose, you know, I don't have anybody kind of who I have to answer to as a business I run my own company I can you know the buck stops with me in terms of what it is I do but if I was running a school I said you know I I would love to see these children all children be offered the opportunity to learn through the things that they are good at right Mm. and we had a we had a um parents evening and my son got pulled up a couple of marks in terms of his attitude to learning because one of them he was playing with his pen lid and when I asked the teacher why he got marked down, she said that, oh, well, you know, he does like to fiddle with his pen lid. And I was like, like to my husband, I was like kidding afterwards, because on my training, I teach adults and I take fiddle toys sometimes because I know that it helps to encourage, com- you know, um, uh, conversation. I know that it allows people to concentrate. They don't have to have eye to eye contact. Sometimes it's helpful to, to push forward and open up dialogue. And I know that. Right. And I'm like, what? So in the end, <laughs> 
happened to my son? Like, do you want me to kind of sew a, um, I don't know, a button into the inside of your blazer so you're not actually got it in your hand, but you can, and he's like, no, no, it's fine. But I was really upset by that because I was like, why do you not recognise that actually that in itself is not us, it's not a problematic situation. But if a teacher comes from a frame of reference where every child needs to do the same and be the same and be compliant, then that in itself can be quite dodge. Yeah, agreed. And it's all, you know, we, it's been the same for 200 years, like the system in terms of bell rings, listen to someone at the front, sat down your desk, do this, do this, do this, you know, to create factory workers, the industrial revolution. And it's never changed. And if I'm honest, it's actually, ter- I'm going to be honest, it terrifies me the fact of getting students to do what they're good at. Like, because I've come from the system, if that makes sense. So I'm, I'm, I'm racking my brain about how that even worked logistically, I know, which I haven't got the answers for. I mean, yeah, you definitely couldn't do it because you've got no, styles, right? It would be nigh on impossible, right? But there must be, I, I mean, even halfway, Sam. I mean, even halfway, you know, like what could we do to encourage those kids who are, you know, quite confident and like talking and they're happy talking and some kids who find it really hard to speak because of anxiety maybe or because they are shy naturally shy kids who you force at the front of a, of a classroom to stand up and speak <laughs> and, you see that? do you know what I mean like what I mean I couldn't even imagine the, the pain and the anxiety that that would cause somebody who just doesn't find that a natural place right but what does it prove what does that teach you I guess to an extent I'm going to counter your point with they're going to have to do that at some point potentially in their life speak in front of people to even to an extent so mm-hmm. I guess school's the best place to learn that but yeah no there was or if you got you know it's not on video but you always see the students uh you know doing a presentation they had the, the paper in front of their face speaking, <laughs> like, you know, and you know comfort zone has a lot to be said for that and actually helping students but it's uh I don't know how it would work, but I think a simple thing would be to cut back some of the curriculum stuff, like still teach the difficulty. If you want to teach the difficulty, still do the, the numbers and, and love your data. Like I don't have a, have a problem with data as well, but if you want to use data, like cool, crack on. Um, but yeah, just simple. Just like if we drop down from four modules to three, for instance, that would release a lot of pressure mm. and we could teach stuff in more detail. Yeah. The other, the other thing as well with that is like, you know, I'm teaching students to take an exam and then after the exam, that information is forgotten. So that's the other other argument to everything is what's really the purpose, apart, you know, in terms of just teaching to the test. Mm, yeah, and I suppose tests, attainments, exams, there's a whole new conversation, right? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. One that we, take, we could go into an awful lot of detail around. Um, probably, yeah, one that I'm not really too happy about either. You're listening to It Is What It Is, the podcast. We hope you're enjoying this episode as we strive to bring you interesting conversations about the things that really matter. If you'd like to hear more, please subscribe. But for now, let's get back to that conversation. But um, <laughs> into, <laughs> I, and, I sp- and you talk about confidence and, and pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. I've, I was terrible at school. That's probably why I'm having these conversations, because I didn't do very well in my exams. I didn't have any structure around my revision you know those kind of words in my home at that time were kind of well you just get on with it and you know what happens happens there was no kind of intervention no you know forward support in terms of my education if you like um because lots of other things were going on in my life at that time so I found school to be awesome socially it was brilliant you know loads of mates and pushed my boundaries and did all of those things (laughs) fantastic 
But school-wise, I was a bit like, yeah, all right, you know, exams are okay. And, I'll, and I got an A star in drama, obviously, um, which I worked very hard at, I must, I must admit. <laughs> and English, I loved English. Maths, I was rubbish at and I still am. And I walked away with a handful, in fact, probably half a handful of GCSEs. And I worked towards my position in life now where I run my own business. And I did it through sheer determination, grit, and also life experiences. Mm. So I suppose I, I, I suppose I get, it gets my back up when the educational route to success is pushed so much. Potentially. Therefore, I then go, well, if that's true, then I'm an enigma. And I know I'm not an enigma because I know lots of people. <laughs> Who do well? I am, but you know, I, in terms of <laughs> you are, you are <laughs> of where it is I've come to. So my story is not unique in that sense. So what can you? What do you do to help students understand? Perhaps because I've seen some of your work that talks about, you know, the actual work itself being important, but the mindset and the understanding mm. is greater than that. Perhaps. Yeah, it's a great point. Um, just on this, I'm doing some. We got an initiative in Cambridge. Um, been lots lots of time in the planning but it's basically taking 40 vulnerable disengaged students and helping set up their own business which is we've got coaches we've got mentors we've got um business yeah business like every, every it's really a really cool project so there are some things going on like that to help those kind of students who are, are switched off from school like i mentioned earlier actually learn how to run a business uh, which is a really cool project i can't wait for um so there's those initiatives but i think for me like it's like building a house on weak foundations. You know, at the moment we're, we're very, that like you know, exams, data, testing, assessment, without really giving that strong structure. Um, so at Student Break, that's one thing we do. I said at the start, we help overcome anxiety and growing confidence. But really what we do, we, you know, we do, do other things. We take students through this, I can't see, 3B program of boost, believe and breakthrough, um, which is all about developing resilient mental health mm. in a fun, proactive, positive way. I'm using another P here, preventative as well. Yes. Um, one of my favorite quotes of all time is, it's easier to build strong children than to repair broken adults. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. As your quotes, you know, links to your quotes at the start, which all these mental health problems start when we're young, before they're yeah. 18, even yeah. younger. So if we can actually embed this stuff into a curriculum, if we can train teachers, then help these students, then we, it's preventative instead of reactive which is kind of what education is all about. You know, it's reactive support yeah. instead of really preventative. Um, and that way as well, even if you don't get your GCC grades or whatever, um, or get, you know, partial exams, you've, you've understood yourself on a deeper level. You've got some tools and strategies to help when you have these challenges. And that's kind of what my big aim is, is to really revolutionize the emotional support so that we have people who are resilient. I can't remember, I think mental health costs like 34 is billion. it a million or billion? is it billion? billion? Yeah. yeah. There you go. So, so you're on the same page. Yeah, 34 <laughs> billion, right? Um, 34 billion pounds mental health costs in you know, the UK economy. So, yeah. yeah, take it back. If we dropped off a history module and it said gave it, not PSHE, but like some sort of real great, even an hour of like mental health stuff. Mm. But it could be coaching, it could be counseling, it could be therapy, whatever. But um, And just embed that a little bit. That could be really cool. Yeah. And that'd probably help lots more students. Yeah, I think so. And I don't know whether or not anybody's ever done any quantitative research into 
kind of people's experiences of the education system historically I don't know I'd love to see <laughs> I think it would be really informative to the UK government to kind of talk about you know on a, on a year by year basis so 10 years I don't know or five years or whatever you know what did you get out of school what what was it that you were lacking and looking back on it now what could you have done better what could have you know I'd love to I do I love like questionnaires and stuff and we'd, we'd <laughs> loads more because it's it's great for for qualitative data we're having some work done at the moment by some phd students at cambridge university to pick up on impact measurement because it's also really important to find out that the work that you're doing especially us as a cic is the work that we're doing having the impact that we wish it to have but that's difficult to quantify so we're having these kind of research pieces done and i'd love the government to do some qualitative and quantitative Mm. data collection as to how we find the system, how we found it as students, you know, how our current students find it. I'd love to see whether or not they actually do that. If anyone knows whether or not that's done or can send me any link to any information, please feel free to do so. Because I'd love to find out what, what, whether or not it's fit for purpose or people do deem it to be fit for purpose. It's definitely not fit for purpose. Like, it's, it's just, it's just, there's so many, the problem is it's such a big thing. Mm. Like I made a Facebook group called the education revolution and there is some stuff going on with different people it's such a big it's like it's literally looking at a container ship and trying to work out well how do we how do we reduce the weight of this thing even when it's been it's been going this way for so long yeah it's apart from student breakthrough that's my other aim is to really change the things in education but it, it seems to me there are some simple steps if you can just like i said add stuff and change the grading system over a couple of years surely then you can remove stuff and bring in like a love of learning or, or extra mental health support or so many different things. Like Gavin Williamson's doing these like behavior units now, or behavior hubs for basically to badly behaved. It's just like, it's the wrong approach. It's the wrong approach. It's an old approach. Um, and a, a, the approach from people that haven't had any direct classroom experience ever. So again, it's being given direction from those that are unaffected and have been unaffected by that, right? Which is, I can't stand that. So again, it's like being taught things when so somebody's not actually watched it, been through it them, themselves. And from that point of view, in terms of having a lived experience, not necessarily that you have to have had a lived experience. I get that. I understand that. But if you've got people out there that are doing this work like you and like lots of other people that are passionate about change, why not consult with those people? rather than thinking, actually, well, we we need this stuff and we need that stuff. If you guys are all in the room going, actually, dudes, <laughs> you totally don't. You kind of need to just wind it back and actually let's look at X, Y, and Z. But someone said to me that they could imagine the curriculum being looked at on a government level as somebody opened up the biggest book you could find, just going, nah, too big, <laughs> just shutting it again and kind of pushing it to the side. And like you said, just adding pages, you know, like a ring binder now, it's huge, right? So I could understand the, the, the size of the, of, of the need, but I also think the need is there and it's greater and it, it, we can't run away from it. And I was in the gym the other day and there's something talking about adult reform. You know, they're, they're thinking about changing and reforming the adult education system. And I was in the middle of a push-up, I think it was, and I, I you know, had to put it back and watch this properly. And I came out of the gym going, oh, for goodness sake, because, you know, it's almost like quite piecemeal. They're taking little pieces of this thing and then putting it out there and saying oh you know look what we're doing and if we go back to that it's our children as Whitney said you know 
children of the future, with, if we focus on those people, this era, this generation, to help them because they're the next ones in line, they're the ones that are going to be making those decisions later. So yeah, it's difficult. I can I can appreciate it, but how can we have lots of individuals doing the work of the big bosses and hope for any cohesion? Yeah, well, that's the thing. You're not there's not like you know entrepreneurship or individual thinking isn't really celebrated um, until you leave, really. Mm. You know, like until you actually get out, then you can start dreaming big and, and like, you, you know, start doing business. You know, I bet your teachers at the time are like, oh, Daniel, I was probably not going to, you know, what's, what, do they, what do they say? Amount to much. Amount to much. No, drama queen, that's what she is. Yeah, be more well, safe. You've got an a star, so you must have done, you were a bit of a drama queen. I am. <laughs> um, but yeah, like that, those kind of skills of independent thinking on tour. And I think there's lots of things that, you know, different people are doing and it's it's such a big beast but i think the more conversations we have more people we can unite and connect with then that's something right that something is better than nothing mm. um, but for me you know changing that mental health support making it pro- preventative proactive action orientated and um, that's really my my aim for well student breakthrough and whatever else happens in the future thank you sam so how can people act what what sort of parent or what sort of scenario would would require or what sort of scenario would you have an intervention with so can you kind of talk me through how somebody would access your support and kind of why so you know if I'm a mum and something's going on with my child what sorts of things would I be looking out for where I would then reach out for you yeah well I'll give you a fairly extreme example um firstly our support and coaching in general I've been coaching since I was 23 when I had that like uh, real big bout of anxiety. But since then, I haven't really had many quote unquote mental health challenges. I've like, we all have mental health, don't we? So, but I've been coaching myself since then. And coaching doesn't mean that you have to have a problem to be dealt with. It's just great to talk. It's great to set action steps. It's great to progress. So before I dive into this story, I just want to say that we've worked with, I worked with, we've worked with every single type of student from, you know severe which i'll talk about in a second like it could be like gangs drugs suicide self-harm to the little year seven student who's just feeling a bit underconfident to the disaffected boy to the high achiever so our support does work with anyone even if there's quote unquote nothing wrong um but i'll take you back to 2018 and i want you to imagine costa coffee right your local costa um and I'm sitting sitting down in a chair, got my coffee, and uh, I'm waiting for a, a student for their first session, a uh, 14-year-old. And that was pre-COVID. And I'm sat there, and I see him and his two parents turn up to the coffee shop together. And inside, I was a little bit, little bit uh, confused by this, because usually the student would just walk in on their own, or one parent. It was strange to have both parents. And I could see, you know, you see in people's eyes sometimes, like, we eyes tell everything, right? It was like they were emotional. And um, the student sat down and I didn't actually say hello. I just went to see mum and dad because I could see they're in distress. Anyway, sit down with mum and dad. Um, the mum kind of keeps it together, but the dad just starts like, and he's a big guy, right? He just starts crying his eyes out. And this is before the session's begun. And he said, uh, Sam, we've got something to tell you. Um, this morning we had to, go and rescue Jamie from the top of a bridge in Milne Keynes as he's about to take his own life. 
14 years old. And he's in bits. Uh, I mean, I started to get a bit emotional as well. Luckily, they found him and, and saved him and took him back. Um, so this is before the first coaching session. <laughs> Talk about uh, chucked in the deep end. Um, so I went, anyway, after that, went to speak to the student in the coffee shop. And we don't really talk for about the first 10 minutes. We just sort of sat there in silence and just giving the space, really. Um, and after a while, we, we get chatting, ask some questions. He starts to have some realizations. Um, in that session, we did a great forgiveness exercise where he forgive himself and other people. And we were both crying loads. And I've never hugged a student in a session before, but I gave him like the biggest hug. And um, after that, I took him through the whole program of Boost Believe and Breakthrough. So we did loads more on on confidence, on on mindset, um, on forgiveness. And he was a school refuser, so he wasn't even going to school. So he finished the program. He's then, the, the results were amazing, right? So just by listening and asking great questions and building him up, he was going back to school four days a week, so getting an education. Um, he started his own Instagram account called The Only Way Is Up, wow. uh, which was to help inspire other people with their mental health, other children. And then in February 2020 was my big, our biggest event in London, Student Breakthrough. 50 people, really cool venue. And I've trained Jamie to do become a public speaker. And it was the first event my parents were there in the room. Usually they don't come to my events, but I was like, come to this one. So this 14-year-old stands up in front of all these adults and he shares his story. And it was one of the most powerful talks I've ever heard. Um, I was crying. Everyone was crying. Everyone was pretty upset and emotional. But for this 14-year-old to talk about suicide and how he's overcome that and how he's helping other people blew me away. Yeah. And, you know, I, my mum pulled me to one side after the event and she said, uh, Sam, if the business fails tomorrow, it's been a massive success for that one student. And I like reflecting on that story because you lose, lose track in business of the people you've helped or work with. And he's such a great guy and he still does all my talks. He steals the show every time. Like I'll bring him along <laughs> to an event and I'll do my whole thing for like 90 minutes or something or an hour. He'll do a talk at like the last 10 minutes and everyone will be like, oh, Jamie was amazing. I'm like, oh, Jamie. <laughs> I'm like oh, I've tried. He's pretty good. Um, so that, that's kind of the level that it, it comes down to. And really, it's quite simple, but it's that non, it's that parent. Yes. Not a parent, not a teacher, not a friend who's non judgmental, who's relatable, who asks great questions, holds student account, holds the student accountable and builds trust and connection. And yeah, that, that was an amazing experience. Do you know what? I'm sitting here. I'm not, I'm very rarely lost for, for, for talking. Um, but that's just one of the most powerful stories I've heard. And we know we can band around statistics all day and there are lots of them and they're very scary and they're very difficult to to kind of take but when you hear of a personal story of a one individual whose life that you have had an impact with you don't need any more do you that's it just that one that one story makes all of those numbers relatable like you said about the 34 billion pounds you can't really think about that much money right but when it comes down to somebody who's lost their job or you know and they've lost their mortgage then you can think about what that money looks like right so that young boy that you've helped just by being all of those things yeah that's amazing stuff Sam 
Yeah, that was a uh, great case. But no, we, we have a primary school breakthrough program. So next week I'm running uh, for a school in Newcastle called Big School Breakthrough. Uh, so it's gonna be really fun, like little half an hour sessions for year sixes transitioning. Because again, yes. they haven't been to secondary school, they have no transition. My baby girl, my daughter, she's just in year six and she's missed out on an awful lot yeah. of stuff this year. She really got yeah. like all those all those experiences, even like going to the schools, like look, check it out. And like, you know, those all that it's just increased so much. So I'm really looking forward to running that. Um, you know, work with the universities as well. So really it's kind of a broad spectrum of support. Um, but there have been some, you know, really like that example from uh, his name's Jamie. Um, that example was one that's always stands out to me. Mm. Uh, but if you are apparently listening to this, um, you know, get involved, give us a message. Um, I'm sure Daniel will, put, will talk about my contact details at the end. But um, yeah, send a message. We offer one on one support, uh, we offer support for parents, um, we do group sessions as well. Um, but yeah, come and have an intro session, see what you feel, and uh, we'd love to help you fantastic there you go so yeah just reach out and I think in in terms of my job I'm always saying just take that first step right you don't know what the solution is or what what could help you unless you pick up the phone or unless you go online unless you do something and have that initial connection and that bit is sometimes the scariest bit but you know once you're on that journey it could be life-changing it could actually yeah there's that um yeah Martin Luther King quarry said um take the first step even when you can't see the staircase first even when you can't see the stair whole staircase and yeah. repeat that uh, take the first step even when you can't see the whole staircase and actually the first step of anything is tough like the first session i have with a student you know they don't know what to expect uh is this like tuition is it going to be hard work like who is this guy mm. um but yeah building that relatability and trust in the first session and every single student loves it and gets gets some result which is hard to quantify if I was a PT, I'd help, you know, people lose weight. I can say, well, I lost these people. So we do mental health quizzes and stuff with them and to judge impacts and other things. But it is quite tough, isn't it, to justify how, is, how far has someone overcome anxiety or how far is someone now motivated? You know, it's tough. Yeah. Well, maybe, I mean, and again, I have to eat my words when you were talking earlier on about kind of people and personality types and stretching people into their comfort zones. Maybe it could be as quantifiable as that kid I was talking about who doesn't want to speak in public actually mm. speaks in public right that could be a breakthrough for somebody who is that is that's the thing like you know I worked with a little year seven girl that underconfident girl and her action step for the week was to put her hand up in class once a day yeah which is like a big step for her um but for someone who wasn't really talking communicating with anyone like that's huge right yeah. but for some students it's not so what that's really what we do as well at student breakthrough it's not just the chat, the chat is important. Like there's a, that, um, the lamppost test you might've heard of Danielle, where if I was, if you were going through a, a challenge, um, if you went outside your door and chat to a lamppost about your challenge, um, you might look a bit crazy, but you would, uh, you'd feel better because you've been talking, right? Talking therapy and same in coaching. Like it's great if you can talk to anyone. So you can have a big impact just by talking but that's what I kind of see where it falls down on in school. It's like, okay, we need to combine this talking with, you know, what do you want to go and do? Asking a six-year-old what they want to go away and do is an action step. That's powerful. Yeah. That empowers them to take responsibility, become a leader for their life and not push their problems away. Yeah. So yeah, action always. And that's great. Cause I mean like CBT, I've been through a CBT program myself and it's all around actions and work that you put in for that. Right. So it's all yeah. good and well talking about things, which is wonderful. And if I'm delivering training, I always talk to people about um, different types of talking therapy. 
So coaching might be classified as a talking therapy, you know, yeah. from in a non-clinical um, sense. But then you have people that don't like counsellors. So they're like, oh, counselling was rubbish, didn't work for me. And then they've, they, they get, then that's it, not interested in talking therapy, but not realising there are other, there are different things to do. And it's about finding something that fits in with you and your, your individual situation um, and exploring what that might look like for an individual. So yeah, it's, it's interesting. But if you're listening to this show and you're thinking, actually, I think that our family could benefit from that, just pick up the phone and speak to Sam. And I'm sure that he will or your team will certainly push you through the process and, and you know, figure out whether or not it's right for, for you and your, and your family. Yeah, it's just a little 15-minute call. We can, you know, see if you're the right fit. Um, I've done lots of the tension programme I've taken recently and actually given some of the sessions to parents. So we might do, like, I don't know, six, seven sessions with a student. We might then do two with mum and dad or just mum or just dad. And then we, what's really special is the family sessions where we have everyone um, and I did an event once called the family breakthrough. We had six families in a room and we did a great exercise towards the end of the, the, the day where we did a, it's called our breakthrough empathy map. But basically I took the students, I had another coach who took the adults, the parents, and they all completed these empathy maps on the other person. So a student sitting down thinking like, what is going on for mum? Mm. And then the mum sitting down being like, what's going on for the daughter? And then there's this magical moment. And I always remember where I stopped everyone. I said, okay, like we're going to bring everyone back now. And the, the, the kids went and sat next to the parents. And there was this epic bit of like energy where for the first time, people kind of took some time to realize what was going on for the other person. It was like this energy of empathy. And it was a really cool moment. And then they were setting outcomes. Like, what do we want to change as a family? What could we do differently? Even sitting down at dinner time, right? Like basic stuff, but that's a big impact, right? Mm-hmm. um so that was really cool so we do family stuff as well we can help you parents it's not just for um your children awesome do you know what you've just and i you've just hit them on the head we deliver something in our training and i say this in pretty much every conversational podcast that i've recorded so apologies if you did it yeah. <laughs> um the frame of reference the frame of reference is what you've just talked about. And earlier on today, I was speaking to somebody and I went yeah. so far as to say that the frame of reference is the key to world peace, right? <laughs> the key, <laughs> Literally, if we could understand and empathise with somebody else's position, point of view, life experiences, their window of the world, then the empathy built from that is just priceless. You know, so I can understand how, and as a mother and a, as a wife in our family, if we can appreciate what they're doing and where they're coming from, it could make a massive difference to the way in which families live their lives. But that stuff mm. takes understanding and knowledge, right? So, yeah, frame of reference, key to well peace, dude. I love that. Yeah, let's use that one. That's a good quote. But yeah, frame <laughs> reference is great. I think it's in mental health first aid, isn't it? Frame it is, absolutely. Yeah. And it's the most power, it's one of the most powerful models that I teach from the mental health first aid mm-hmm. training because it's it's like it's that little, it's that light bulb moment when people go, Oh, oh my gosh, I didn't realise that they might not have the capacity for understanding the situation like I have because of their lived experience. And it's just a beautiful moment. So, There's yeah. that quote in there as well. It's like everyone's doing the best with what they can. Absolutely. Like I mean, we don't know, but in that moment, everyone's actually doing their best, even if it's painful and hurtful and they're, they're making mistakes. And we're allowed, you know, that's part of being human. Being human, it's part of our humanity. So empathy would go an awful long way, 
you know, to, to helping pretty much everybody. So on that note, um, it is the end of our session today. And as I said before, I probably could have gone on for hours. So, so yeah, it's uh, it's been an amazing conversation. And maybe we can invite you back again to kind of have a further dialogue around this. But I'm certainly going to be having a look at the student breakthrough and what it is that you're doing and sharing some of the work that you're doing in my work, because I think it's a really powerful space for people to access um, especially in family life so yeah I'd appreciate that um, and that's why training people training teachers educators to do this work is is also amazing we've had lots of sign up recently for to train one member of staff or a couple of members of staff becoming student breakthrough coaches then we had that ripple effect like dropping a pebble on a pond and then that ripples out into the school um, but yeah please do connect we're on Facebook and Instagram which is at student breakthrough the website is studentbreakthrough.com and you can email me, which is sam at studentbreakthrough.com. Fantastic. So remember, pick up the phone, uh, tap away on that keyboard, go and have a look um, and please do reach out if you need to. But otherwise, Sam, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you today. And I've certainly got some tips that I'm going to be taking away as well for my, for my teaching and also for my family. So thank you and take it easy. Thank you so much, Danielle. It's been an awesome chat. You've been listening to the It Is What It Is podcast, presented by Daniel Bridge and produced by Defresh Productions. <laughs>